You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Listen, as, as we look at suffering, um, th- this is a theme that we see in Peter's letter. We're going through uh, 1 Peter, and we'll go through 2 Peter as well, but Peter returns to this theme over and over and over again. He's writing to Gentiles who are dispersed throughout the nations, um, and he calls them elect exiles, and he writes to them and specifically brings up suffering over and over. Um, and it's, it's very timely for the week that we've seen um, in the news, uh, when we see the, the news of what's happened in Ukraine and, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, it is um, very real to us. Um, I, think, I think it's sobering to think about we're watching war play out on social media, um, which is just unprecedented. And so as we watch these things take place um, for the Christian and for the non-Christian, we're faced to um, reconcile these things uh, with, with God's existence. Um, how do these things happen if God is good? Why does suffering happen? Um, years ago, I was ushered to a room in Ukraine filled with refugees from Donbass, um, the region in question with a lot of Russian separatists there. And they were fleeing from those Russian separatists to the, the western part of Ukraine. And Ukrainians notoriously don't plan anything um, well. They, they kind of plan as they go. Um, you, you guys that have been to Ukraine know this to be true. But um, so in broken English, on the way there, I'm, I'm given like just like a 15-minute ride. Hey, here's what we're doing right now. We're going to speak to refugees who are here, and, um, and we want you to share the gospel with them. We want you to give them hope, and we want you to encourage them. And, you know, my mind starts racing, you know, okay, in 15 minutes, what can I say to these refugees who have fled war? Um, what, can I, what can I offer them? Um, I was told, just give them the hope of the gospel. Well, that's, that sounds good until you look into eyes of people who are terrified and who don't know where their next meal is coming from and who are displaced from everything they've ever known. And, um, and so what I tried to do was give them hope in Jesus and, and reassure them that they have an empathetic Savior, um, that, that they serve a Savior in, in repentance who went through suffering as well. That, and I want you to just think this morning how asinine it would be for me to come in with a, with a gospel message of you can live your best life now. If you have more faith, you can, you can overcome all of this and it can all be well and good. It would be insulting to them, Right? Instead, when we go through suffering, we don't, we don't preach to ourselves that everything is just going to go away and be better, but we preach to ourselves that we have been given better eternally and spiritually in Christ. That our hope is in Jesus who suffered. His life was that of, 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 of someone who didn't have a home. The Bible says he had no place to lay his head. And so as I spoke to these refugees, I was able to talk about how, how, how Christ didn't even have a place to call home. Um, and as we see, ultimately, Jesus uh, nailed to a cross and, and suffer and die, um, the sobering reality is that we follow in the footsteps of a suffering Savior. And God, in His sovereignty, has ordained for us to walk through suffering. That's the truth. And this week, I know that you've watched and seen thousands of those Ukrainian refugees turn into millions of Ukrainian refugees. Um, we have two partner churches in Ukraine, lots of other friends in Ukraine that we partner with um, that, are, that are really suffering right now. And so church, I want to call you to this, to pray daily for them. 
Um, before our 9 a.m. service, I was on the phone with Siava, who preached here just in December, um, and he had to send his wife and four-month-old girl um, across the border, and he, he has to stay by law because he's a, a male, and, um, and, and he's in a city where they're, they're seeing some attacks right now. In Ternopil, where we partner with Philadelphia Church, Etik and Lena Cure out there, um, and, uh, and Mikola and Anna Semenov are, are leading that church, and they, they're not seeing attacks in their city, so that's, that's one of the places that people are flocking to for safety, and they've already moved over 200 people through their small church building. And, and as, they, as they had church this morning, just imagine if, if we had beds lining the walls in this room. That's how they worship the Lord this morning. Um, there are people suffering, and um, we need to spend some time praying. And so I want to invite you to just have a time of prayer with me. We want to go to the Lord in prayer. But before we do that, I want to read Romans 12, 12, which tells us to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. And in today's passage, I want to turn our attention to three main things that we would rejoice in suffering, um, which is countercultural, it's paradoxical, uh, but we would rejoice in suffering, that we would endure persecution, and that we would trust in God's justice. And so let's go to the Lord with these things in prayer. God, we come to you um, with, with very real evidence of depravity in our world. Um, Lord, we come to you praying for relief of that. Um, God, we know that in your sovereignty, you are still on the throne, you're still in control, but God, we want to pray this morning that you would, that you would move in such a strong way, that we would see your work, God, that you would strengthen the Ukrainian army and citizens as they fight to defend their country. Lord, we pray for our church partners, Philadelphia Church and Ecclesia Church. Lord, we pray for the saints as they scattered um, many of them in hiding and underground. Um, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen and embolden and encourage them to share the gospel with people around them who are terrified. Um, I pray that you would give them opportunities to share gospel hope and that you would keep them safe. Lord, we pray for the Russians. Uh, we pray for Russian Christians to speak truth and to be salt and light in their country. God, we pray for Vladimir Putin and ask that you would Bring upon him a conviction and a repentance that, is, that could only be attributed to supernatural grace. Lord, we pray that, um, that you would bring peace to Eastern Europe. And um, God, that, that we would see that happen and we would give all glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we, um, as we look at, at suffering in 1 Peter, um, I, think, I think suffering... Um, just becomes naturally one of one of the world's greatest obstacles to faith. Um, I have a friend who who is not a Christian, but he would say that he believes in God and and even Jesus. But but he um, he has trouble submitting to a life of Christianity and identifying as a Christian because he sees so much suffering in the world. And through my conversations with him, one of the things he comes back to all the time is, "How could God allow this? If if God is real and God is good, um, how could He?" allow um, these uh, uh, tragedies to happen, things like we've seen this week, war, um, even, even just suffering and hardship and death and pain and loss. And, um, and admittedly, that's a hard question to answer, but, but the answer lies within a good understanding of the doctrine of depravity, a good understanding of sin. 
Um, when, we, when we understand that God created us in love and gave us a will, and we use that will, 100% of us, to run away from him rather than to him, we understand the bondage of our will, that we are held in bondage to the sin that we have chosen. And God is not uh, pouring down suffering on humanity. Rather, he is redeeming humanity from the suffering that we have hurled ourselves into. You see, a proper understanding of sin shapes a proper understanding of suffering. When we understand where it comes from and what it is, then we're, we're more equipped to live in a way that pleases God. Um, and we, we can actually have joy in the midst of suffering. It's like my favorite theologian, 50 Cent. I've shared this quote with you guys before. Y'all saw him at the Super Bowl, right? Um, but 50 Cent famously said, sunny days wouldn't be special if it wasn't for rain. Can I get a witness for 50? Amen. That joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain. Death got to be easy because life is hard. I could go on and on. But the, the, the point is, is that through all the suffering that we endure, it makes, it makes the grace and the redemption so much sweeter. And Christians should be marked by joy and hardship. Um, that paradoxical joy that we can hold on to in the midst of suffering. And listen, I know that, that what we've gone through probably pales in comparison to the war that we see on our timelines this week, but um, I, I know that everyone in this room has experienced suffering. We've all experienced loss. Some of you have experienced way more loss than I could even fathom or imagine. Some of you maybe not so much. So we have varying levels of suffering, but what we do see is that we're called to be joyful in all of those things. In James 1, he writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, happiness and joy are not the same thing. You should not be happy in your suffering, but you should be joyful in your suffering. And joy is uh, a deep-down sense of, 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 of joy in the Lord and who He is and what He's done for you and a satisfaction that exists beyond your, your earthly circumstances. That doesn't always mean you're happy. In verse 12 of the passage we're looking at today, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Um, the best way I can illustrate this is a can of biscuits. It scares me every time, right? And Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. No matter how many times I open a can of biscuits, I am still terrified when that thing pops. Now, I'm not cooking a lot of biscuits. Maybe if I would cook more biscuits, I'd, I'd do better at this. But when I start peeling that paper back, I'm like, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And then pop, scared me to death. Right. Um, well, that's kind of how we are when suffering comes to us, when when it happens and when we experience hardship, it, it it shocks us. It surprises us as if we thought that that wasn't the natural inclination of the world we live in. Um, Peter says, don't be surprised when you suffer. Don't be surprised if you experience loss and tragedy and grief. And why are we surprised by it? Because we dread it. Like the biscuits popping open, we don't want it. We don't want it to happen, and when it does, because we've dreaded it so much in our minds that it brings the shock to us. The Greek word that he uses for fiery trial is pyrosis. It's where we get our word pyrotechnic from. Um, fiery explosions. Think of fireworks and things. And so Peter's actually comparing the the suffering of life to, to fire or explosions that happen. And I, I know that many of you, as, this, as you've had hardship and suffering in your life, it's felt like things have just exploded and burnt down around you. Well, what, is, what does Peter say with that? 
He says, it's come to test you, but don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. Well, why, why do we have suffering? That's the, that's the question, right? That's what we want to know from Peter. Peter, what's the reason for it? Why couldn't when we get saved, God just make everything easy and pave the way for us? What's the purpose in this? Well, Peter actually tells us in chapter 1 of his letter. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. So he even calls suffering necessary. You've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. Notice that verse 7 begins with the word so. That's him giving you the reason. Why do we have to suffer? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So why do you suffer? So Jesus will receive more praise and glory. That's hard for us to, to, to swallow, isn't it? It's hard for us to drink that in. But, but what the Bible is telling us is that the purpose of suffering is so we will be sanctified, look more like Jesus. People around us will look more like Jesus when they see our testimony. And when Jesus comes back, there will be a higher, deeper, more sweet praise to his name because of all that we've gone through. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, that's fine. You don't have to like it. It's what the Bible says. There comes a point where I, I stopped trusting in my own reason and logic and I began trusting in God's word instead. And listen, there is a great grace that exists for you if you understand that you can dislike God's plan. Y'all know that? Have you read the Psalms? The Psalms is like a book of complaining. And it's like, you can, you can be upset with God's plan. You can not like God's plan. When suffering comes to you, I would even encourage you to express your dislike of God's plan but let me tell you something, it's a good plan. Even when it doesn't feel like it's a good plan, you don't understand it, and you communicate to the Lord, I don't like what you're doing, I don't understand what you're doing, the Word of God tells us it's a good plan. And then ultimately, it's going to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Lord is forging us, refining us by fire, by that pyrosis. It's, if you remember Jeremy's uh, illustration of him going to a... Um, to make a knife in fire, and he made that peanut butter knife, right? That, that glorious uh, peanut butter machine that he made. And, um, and, and the image that, that Peter uses is uh, that the Lord is the one who is the refiner. It's not Russian armies. It's not cancer. It's not death. But the image is that the Lord is the one who's doing this. The Lord's allowing this stuff to happen. Malachi 3 uses the same imagery. It says that he, referring to the Lord himself, will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Now many of us, when these sufferings are allowed to come to us in God's sovereign plan, will we'll look at the circumstances of our suffering and will say, where is God? Where is God when I needed him most? Where is God when I needed my healing? Where is God when, when I was down and hurting the most? Where was he? Well, if we understand the scriptures right, he's the refiner in all, in all of it. Which means that's, that's, a, that's an indicator of his presence, not his absence. You see, suffering is not the absence of God. Suffering is a sign of God's presence in your life. You see, sanctification is a hard journey, but it's a good journey. It's good for you, and it's glorifying to God. 
And it's not a strange experience to, to experience grief and pain and loss and heartache. Yes, the Lord allows these things to come upon you. And if you struggle with how could the Lord allow this and still be gracious and good, I get it. That's okay. But the Word is encouraging us to know that in the end, all things will work out to the glory of God. Um, I was at a pastor's conference one time, and Thabiti Anyabwale, difficult name, great pastor. Um, he pastors in the D.C. area, but he was speaking at a conference, and he had a, um, a sermon about suffering. And I just remember it vividly because, because he personified suffering through the entire sermon. It was just like a presentation tactic that was extremely effective. And in his sermon, he continually referred to suffering as his friend. And I thought that was such a strange thing. And by the end of the sermon, I was like, I need to do that. And, and one of the quotes near the end of his sermon, I wrote, I wrote it down and just kept it in a note in my phone. It says he, he finished his sermon like this. He said, next time suffering comes knocking at your door, say to it, welcome, my dear friend. Come in and produce in me the glory that God has designed. Man, what, what if we could change our mindset to that? That when we're struggling and when we're hurting, when we're grieving, when we get a bad diagnosis, what if we could change our mindset instead of how can I get this away from me to welcome? Because I know the Lord is working something through this. Verse 13, Peter says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You see that? When your heart aches, you are sharing in what Jesus did. When you grieve, you are sharing in what Jesus did. Insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. This is the 50 cent principle. That when Jesus comes back, it's going to be so much sweeter for all the mess we've had to endure waiting for Him. You see, suffering is actually not strange. Suffering is not unusual. It's what we should expect if we understand the fall and depravity. You know what is strange and unusual? The fact that God would redeem messes like us to be His sons and daughters. That's strange. That's unusual. That people who only deserve suffering would actually receive grace. But for now, we're pilgrims on our way to our redemption. And so until then, we rejoice in suffering and we also endure persecution. The second thing Peter talks about is persecution. So it's a little bit different than suffering. This is um, intentional ridicule um, or insult toward Christians. Um, now, listen, not all religious persecution is beheadings and arrests, although those things do exist. Um, and I think our world may continue to go that direction, but a lot of it's more subtle. Um, a lot of it is more like what we deal with, especially in the West and in America, is more of a cultural battle than a physical one. That we are ridiculed and persecuted for our faith in, um, in accusations of us being irrelevant um, or uh, being, being traditional or holding on to something that is archaic um, and not relevant for our day and age. I think increasingly our culture is going to push against the, um, the, moral, the moral code of the Bible. And as, as we stand for what the Bible says, we will continually 
and increasingly be insulted for that. And verse 14, I think, speaks to that. Peter says, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. So he says, when you are insulted, because you hold to the gospel, you're actually not being cursed, you're being blessed. It's, it's a paradoxical relationship. If, if I could explain it this way, if you think of a child, um, if a child says a cuss word, I won't say one now, um, but you can go ahead and imagine one in your head. The Lord's okay with this illustration. Imagine a cuss word, um, and, and a child says that. And if the child genuinely, innocently doesn't know the word and doesn't know what it means, and they've probably heard you say it, so they repeat it, um, what do we tend to do? If they say it, we tend to laugh, right? That's our natural reaction. If, if we know they don't know what it means, then we tend to laugh at that. If we're good parents, we'll turn our heads and laugh, okay? Um, but, if, but if we've told our child, this is what that word means, this is why you shouldn't say it, and they, then they say it, it ain't so funny anymore, is it? It's like, you know what you're doing, so you're in trouble for it. The, the, the point that Peter's trying to make here is that when the world curses us or insults us for our Christian values, they don't know what they're saying. They're blind to the truth. They don't understand what they're saying. So he's saying, laugh that junk off. Just laugh at it. It's, it's actually a blessing to you. You are worthy for the world to look at you and, and think that you're silly. And so we are a people of paradox. We rejoice at suffering, and then when we receive cursings and ridicule and insults, we're actually blessed by that. An example of this comes from Acts chapter 5, um, when, the, when the apostles are, are pulled in by the Sanhedrin. Um, Acts 5.40 says they beat them and they charge them not to speak of the name of Jesus. And you know how the disciples leave that meeting? Well, I can tell you how they leave it physically. They leave it with, their, with blood running out of their mouth and their noses. Um, but they also leave it jumping up and down and clicking their heels together and excited because verse 41 says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. That as Jesus suffered on a cross, died for their sins, when they were beat up for the gospel, they got excited about it. They said, well, we must be doing something right here. And so when people don't understand your commitment to the gospel, your commitment to your church, your commitment to the kingdom of God, you're going to be insulted for the name of Jesus. What an honor, Christian. What an honor for you to be insulted in that way. But then Peter offers this caveat in verse 15, which I'm so thankful it's there. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. This caveat shows us that not all suffering is sanctifying. Now, Peter makes the case that when you suffer, God is allowing suffering to sanctify you, make you look more like Jesus. But Peter puts in verse 15, don't, don't suffer for being a murderer or a thief. Like if you're stealing stuff, you're just a knucklehead and you deserve to be punished for it. You deserve to go to jail, right? Uh, so, so there's some suffering that comes in life, and it's not just criminal activity. He even puts meddler in there. There's some suffering that comes into your life and it's in your life because you're a sinful knucklehead. You know that? Like, so, so here's the Bible's message to you, knuckleheads. Knock that junk off. Just stop that, okay? Sometimes I think we put ourselves in positions of suffering, and we're like, oh, woe is me. The Lord's putting this on me. It's like, no, your, your stupid decisions put you in that place, right? And so when you suffer as a result of sin, you deserve the, the, the suffering that comes to you. That's just. When you suffer as a result of the gospel, God is allowing it for sanctification. Verse 16, he says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, 
Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. There's the word name again. Um, he, he's referring to Christian. Um, name could mean like title here um, or label. And so Peter is saying, if you suffer because you um, proudly wear the title of Christian, don't be ashamed of that. And here's what's so moving about this verse is that I believe with all my heart, Peter is writing from his soul here. I believe Peter is writing from experience here. Do you remember what Peter did? 30 years before this, he's an older man now. He's writing this AD 62 to 64. 30 years before this, we're told about Peter standing in a courtyard. John 18 says Peter was standing and warming himself. And they come to him and they say, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? Disciple is, is, means follower. Um, it means believer. It, it, uh, Christians weren't called Christians until Antioch, but it, but it literally means follower of Christ is what Christian means. And so when they say, are you one of his disciples? They're coming to Peter and they say, are you a Christian? And he denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. When I read 1 Peter 4.16, I think I'm reading the words of a man who would lay down at night and hear that rooster crowing in his head. Who lived with the, with the pain of the fact that he denied the name and title of Christian. And so in verse 16 he says, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. This old man speaks to these Christians. Don't be ashamed of that. But instead glorify God. In that name. The last thing I want you to see is God's justice. And so we rejoice in our suffering. Um, we endure the persecution or the ridicule that may come upon us. And church, I think it's important for us, um, especially in a time where we see war, to trust in God's justice. You see, suffering and persecution make us long for redemption that will make it all right makes us long for Christ to return and set things straight. It makes us long for the day that the, that the book of Revelation talks about when he will wipe away every tear from every eye and death will be no more. Verse 17, Peter says, It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? Peter is, is um, invoking this deep, and terrifying thought to his readers. He's saying, if God's judgment or chastisement or a weighing out of our decision of Christ begins with us, what's going to happen to those who are not believers? You think this life is full of pain and suffering? We have absolutely no concept of the terror of dying without a relationship with God. No concept for that. The full wrath of God exercised justly upon sinners is a difficult thing to turn our attention to, but it's what Peter is doing here. He's turning our attention to that. And as the news of war flooded our timelines this week, what we see in a very real way is that the human soul, I think, is wired by God to turn toward God as a judge. Um, I, I saw a video, I'm sure many of you or most of you saw the video of the Ukrainian ambassador at the UN speaking to the Russian ambassador at the UN, and I love the awkward tension as he confronts him. 
and he tells the Ukraine, Ukrainian says to the Russian, uh, there is no purgatory for war criminals. They go straight to hell, ambassador. Um, now, I don't have time to get into purgatory. He's wrong about that mess. All right, but, but what he's doing is he's making, he's making an eternal appeal to this man. It, it's, it's he, he understands that it's going to be fruitless to say, our military is pretty strong. It's going to be fruitless to say, please have mercy on us. The strongest appeal that a human can make is an appeal to God, the higher power. And so his appeal is not to other humans or sanctions or military might, but his appeal is Russian ambassador, war criminals go straight to hell. God is a judge, and he's a just judge. And I think that's evidence of just humanity in all of us. We know that judgment awaits us. And verse 18 says, If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, Peter's quoting from Proverbs 11.31, and he's, uh, scholarly, he's probably, most scholars say he's probably quoting from the Greek translation of the Septuagint. Um, but Proverbs 11.31 says, If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinners? So it's a little bit different there, but most people think it's what Peter's referencing. I think what Peter's going for, I love that he uses, if, if the righteous is scarcely saved. It's like if... if People, if Christians are barely saved, um, anybody feel like that every now and then? It's like when people ask me if I'm a Christian, I'm like, barely. <laughs> that's, that's what I think Peter's going for here. It's like, I don't deserve to be one, right? It's like I'm Jack on the Titanic. Y'all remember Jack trying to get on the Titanic in that movie? He's playing poker, and he wins his ticket to the Titanic in a poker game, and then he still almost misses the boat, right? That's how I'm going to roll into heaven, just like, I just got lucky, you know. Um, I'm, I don't even deserve to be here. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, just saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Those who deserve hell just like we do, but yet refuse to place their trust in Christ. Well, the point is that Jesus is coming again with wrath for all those who reject the gospel. And I want to just turn your attention to this terrifying reality is that as, as, we, as we watch war play out on social media this week, as we look at that, people who don't have Christ, who've not repented of sin, trusted in Jesus, his death and resurrection, this world is as close to heaven as they'll ever be. What a sad reality for them. But for us in Christ, as we look on our screens and it looks like hell, it makes sense because this is as close to hell as we're ever going to be. For you faithful ones who are suffering, I promise you, this is as close as you'll ever get to God's wrath. I promise. Verse 19 leaves us with this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, I don't want to I don't think we should diminish anyone's suffering. All right? I, I don't, I'm, I'm talking a little bit about the, the war in Ukraine today. I don't want you to feel like you know, that I'm trying to make you feel privileged or anything. I don't think anyone should have their suffering diminished. Um, all of us suffer in various ways, and it's very real, and it's a very personal experience, suffering and grief and all of those things. But what I do want is I want all of us to turn our attention to our suffering for a moment. 
Okay? You might be in a season right now where things are going pretty good. And if that's you, you don't need to feel guilt about that. You need to praise the Lord for that. But, but if you're in a place where, where you, you are going through some suffering, maybe it's a, a medical diagnosis, maybe it's loss of someone close to you, maybe it's grief or strife or beef with someone else, a grudge, uh, maybe it's not having approval from your family, difficult work environment, anxiety, depression, financial struggles. Whatever your struggle is, I, I just want to challenge you today to view that as God's deacon to you, as God's servant to you. That suffering is there not to crush you, but to serve you. That suffering is there to, to push you toward the cross, to push you toward the God who sacrificed and suffered everything to save you. That suffering is there so that you can cast all your cares on him and do what verse 19 says. Let those who suffer entrust their souls to a faithful creator. He created you for eternity. And the suffering you experience now is there to make you lean into eternity, not your present circumstances. Respond in that way. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.